Hello and welcome to the podcast, Priest, Brother, and You, where we talk about your deepest questions from life on campus. My name is Father Jake Anderson, joined by fellow co-host, Brother Matthew, and we've got a, uh, a student with us, a graduate student, uh, Dom or Dominic Christensen with us. So, brother? Brother Matthew here. Dom, great to have you joining us today. Dom, you are a student of plant science. So do you specialize in a particular plant? Yeah, I work uh, especially with turf grasses, um, low-growing, kind of different species. We call them some, some of them are fine fescues, Kentucky bluegrass. We have some native called buffalo grass. So I work in six different species for roadsides. And we're trying to look, work with mixtures. The goal is to develop kind of this coverage along roadsides and, you know, how do we mix these species? Do, should we have different mixtures in different parts of the state of Minnesota? Think of all the variability in climate and soils from Duluth to Worthington, Minnesota. So how do we mix those species? Should we be different species? And so kind of withstanding salt and winter stresses and heat and things like that on roadsides. Was there like a particular time in high school where you just had a moment of enlightenment, thinking to yourself, I am going to study grasses. <laughs> uh, not, not, not really. <laughs> I was always kind of interested in the sciences, and my undergrad is in environmental sciences where I studied soils and water and kind of just happened on plant science and come to turn out I really enjoy it, and it's really fun to, to kind of study the waters and soils and now to apply that to plants. That's great. That's great. Well, Dom, you wanted to talk about rules and freedom and maybe the supposed conflict between the two. Is that right? Not so much conflict, but how we think about rules and maybe, yeah, 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 sort of a conflict. You know, does that, does this set us free or does it burden us? Mm -hmm. um, I think um, from the very beginning in the garden, God told Adam, you should not, do not eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we know what happens next, but from Abraham to Moses and the prophets and then to Christ, God is calling his people time and time again to turn back to him. God wants us to live a certain way and he instructs the church and the church desires to help us live according to these principles. And so it kind of has been leading me to think about some of these questions of why does God give us these commandments and require us to live in a specific manner? What is the purpose of these laws? Is this something you've been thinking about for a long time? This question specifically, I was had thought about um, a couple of years back, but I think it leads to questions further on um, and more things that I'm thinking about. Yeah, I think it's certainly a question, even if not mentioned explicitly by a lot of uh, college students or people in general, it certainly is behind their consciousness, if you, <laughs> if you will, where like, oh, why should I obey all these rules of the church? Even if that's not a conscious question, sometimes often it can be an unconscious one. I think it's a really, really good one that everyone, it seems like in a certain way, somebody's going to confront this in their life at some point. Like, yeah, what is, why all these rules? So, yeah, I agree. I, I do think that this is a really common question. And I think we feel, at least we feel that rules conflict with freedom simply because we feel like we know what's best for ourselves and rules come from the outside and we want to determine our own lives as they are. Yeah, I, I always like to start with just seeing things from the natural world first. Um, 
even before getting into the things of the supernatural or the things of God. And I think that um, it helps people see it just at a very basic human level first, um, where like even at a natural level, you think about natural law. It's like, we're not even talking about God's law. Like why in the world are there speed limits? Why in the world is there that, you know, that yellow line separating the two sides of the road? Um, why anything like that in the first place? And so to begin to see how it, it's like the tendency of human nature to start veering away. Um, <laughs> I almost think about like the analogy of a car where on occasion every few months, you know, you got to get your tires rotated um, because the tendency of the car over time, especially, is to begin to be veering off to the right or the, to the left when you take your hands off the wheel. And I use that as an analogy, like in the, in like theological language, a word that we talk about is concupiscence, which is a tendency towards sin, sin being going astray or to be separated from God. So like why rules, why commandments, even at a natural level? Oh, because human nature is what it is. It, it doesn't go straight. <laughs> it tends to start veering away. And so laws, or in this case of the analogy, lines in the road, help keep us uh, aligned with something, help keep us to avoid, well, crashing into one another for one thing. Um, so that'd be just something of what I would start with is just seeing things at a natural level because of the tendency of human nature uh, to not be perfect. And we can easily give into and, and do give into uh, an, a disorder within ourselves to go astray. I mean, we hear things in our culture of my body, my rules, or I know what's best for me. And um, it makes me think about this, about this freedom a lot is it's like, does God's rules or laws for our life, does it free us or does it burden us? Hmm. What, you know, how do we know if we're exercising God's will in our life, is this, is this, is this freeing us or is this kind of putting us in chains? Yes. <laughs> I, yeah, I'll, I'll be bold to say it's a little bit of both. I might be going on, on a limb a little bit here, but if you don't at times feel the burden of the commandments, I do think something's a little off. I know that might sound a little odd. Doesn't Jesus say in Matthew 11, you know, my yoke is easy and my burden light. Yes, it is, but usually not initially. You know, you think about when we were kids growing up and how you know, just having a bedtime was like, it was like World War III. It was something so simple. <laughs> and yet, especially to begin in our human nature, again, our tendency is to go astray, to want to rule our own life. So even simple, basic rules that are for our flourishing so that we're not, you know, falling asleep in class or something as, you know, and we're in second grade. Uh, the, the purpose of a bedtime is to free us, but initially, especially when it's not a habit or a habitus, it actually can be perceived experientially as a burden. This is not easy. It might help us too to to try to define freedom and see if we can see if we can even define it in such a way as to get it to conflict with with rules in general. So, for example, we we might define freedom somewhat naturally as simply the possibility of making choices. But with that first definition, there's no real 
contradiction between rules and freedom. Think of every game that you enjoy playing. It has rules, and yet it leaves plenty of choices for the players. In fact, it makes it fun when there's rules. Okay, so maybe maybe by freedom we mean something else. Maybe we mean more than the possibility of making choices. We mean the possibility of choosing absolutely anything. But even then, there's no conflict between that kind of freedom and rules. You're still free to break the rules of the game. You'll just lose. If you're in a swimming contest and you get out of the pool and run to the other side, you'll just be disqualified. But still, you have that kind of freedom, and and the rules do not take it away. Okay, but so so maybe we mean still something else by freedom, which which can really bring these two into conflict. Maybe we mean by freedom the possibility not simply to choose absolutely anything, but to choose absolutely anything without consequence. Now, that that certainly conflicts with rules. But on the other hand, it it also doesn't make sense as a definition of freedom. So I, I might choose to swim across the Mississippi River, but there will be consequences. I'm going to be overcome by the current, and I'm, I'm going to be drowned. So maybe maybe one last effort here. Maybe by freedom we can define it like this. The possibility to choose absolutely anything without suffering intrinsic consequences. So in other words, it's only the artificial consequences that are the problem. Swimming across the Mississippi has natural consequences, but driving 70 miles per hour down Mississippi River Boulevard has artificial consequences, like a speeding ticket. Or does it, though? So that's that's the real question. So I might enjoy driving 70 miles per hour down a suburban road, but I certainly wouldn't want others to do it. It's not for the common good. It's not for my own good. So freedom should not sanction reckless driving, much less should it sanction killing or stealing. In other words, if freedom sanctions things that are bad, then freedom is a bad thing. But everyone agrees that freedom is a good thing. So here's the upshot. True freedom is for doing good. That's the, that's the core definition of freedom, not any of those other possibilities that I gave, but for doing good. So Dom, like you mentioned, let's think of Genesis. Why did God give us freedom? It was not so that we could do evil. It was so that we could do good. Adam and Eve made many choices, according to the story, before they chose evil. They chose how to name the animals. They chose how to protect the garden. So, again, did they have freedom before they sinned? And, and yes, why? But not so they could do evil. That would be to abuse their freedom, but rather to do good. One particular quote on this topic I really appreciate is by uh, St. Dominic de Guzman, the founder of the Dominican Order. And he says, quote, a man who governs his passions is master of his world. We must either command them or be enslaved by them. It is, to, it is better to be a hammer than an anvil, end quote. And I think it speaks a lot to, to this interior freedom is if we're constantly being pulled to certain things or doing we're, we're sort of a slave to these to these passions uh, whether it be like sexual immorality or just any any sort of sin 
I think can can govern us. But going off earlier about what you said a little bit, Father Jake, how Christ says, you know, his yoke is light and easy to burden. And Christ also tells us that the truth will set us free and that um, he came that so that we may have life and have it more abundantly. And it this, this kind of leads into a question. And, um, you know, Christ came and he, he came to heal the blind so that they can see the deaf are hearing, the mutes are able to speak. What does it take for someone to recognize that they are spiritually blind, deaf, and mute? And furthermore, how can all of us continue to have this open, contrite, and humble spirit to enter into a deeper conversion with Christ and to live by God's precepts and just how God wants us to live? Excellent thing for a doctoral thesis. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's a great question. My goodness. Say that first part again. How does one know? Like if, if, how did the first part go? Yeah. What does it take for someone to recognize that they're spiritually blind, deaf, and mute? And then, and then how can we have this contrite and humble heart for all of us? I think every, every Christian to, to realize that they should enter into a deeper conversion with Christ. And so, so the connection is that we can only recognize rules as good, or at least some rules as good, when we have a certain kind of humility, and that's recognizing our spiritual poverty. So the question is, how do we, how do we recognize that? Yeah, I like, uh, there's a great book by uh, Scupoli. It's called The Spiritual Combat. It was Francis de Sales, St. Francis de Sales' favorite book. He had it on his bed, bedside. Uh, all his life. And in that book, he, yeah, what, very much in tandem with what Brother Matthew said, this notion of humility. Yeah, you can't really see anything rightly without the virtue of humility. In addition to that, what Scupoli in that book that Francis de Sales loved is in humility to have a healthy sense of distrust of self. I might not be seeing things entirely correctly. I might be missing something. I might be, <laughs> I might not think I'm as good as I think. So within humility, almost like a healthy, because we can have an unhealthy, a healthy distrust of self. I, uh, I might not be seeing this entirely correctly. And with that humility and a healthy sense of distrust, it really are the two great prerequisites for God's light Truth and light are kind of synonyms in, in biblical language. Truth casts light into darkness. So with the humble person, with a healthy distrust of self, it allows the heart to be illumined by truth, to be able to see things that they might not have been able to see before. The prideful person thinks they have it all together, so they're not open uh, to seeing uh, to, for God's truth to shine in any darkness because they don't think they have any. So those would be just a couple things that come to mind. Maybe we can say it like this. How should you doubt? Or or when should you doubt that you have it all together? Always. Always. On this side of heaven, we always want to have some degree of doubt that we haven't we don't have everything figured out. So again, as we talked about at the beginning, this whole question is really is based on the illusion that I know perfectly what is best for my life. Mm. And 
but no one likes to be told, oh, you don't, you don't know what's best for yourself. No one likes to be told that, but we have to have, especially in the Christian life, we have to have that kind of humility, not just in some areas, but, but in all areas. Think of it like this. We accepted rules as children, like bedtime rules, for example, as Father Jake said. And looking back, we see very clearly that they were good for us. Why were they good for us? Because our parents knew better than we did. So why should we refuse rules from God? That's not the word we ordinarily say rules, but commandments or precepts. Why should we refuse rules from God? And this is, I think, a a really important caveat to add to that kind of healthy sense of distrust and humility to be open, um, is (laughs) to also be closed and to be always 100% certain that what the church proposes with the authority of Christ that is good, true, and unchanging, I must not doubt that or kind of withhold certainty on those things. And I, I, getting back to the original question, like with rules and commandments, maybe this can be um, in, in the back of some people's minds, college students, but just people in general, like, okay, I kind of see the whole parent rule thing, but maybe my parents weren't entirely prudent about some of the rules they gave me. And looking back, especially as I grew older, yeah, I wanted to respect them, but it turns out it wasn't the best wisdom they gave on certain things. And maybe God's like that too, where I just need to kind of have, or the church, I need to kind of be open-minded because maybe the church, you know, they might be like a parent that didn't have the best wisdom on certain things. I should withhold some judgment or certainty on some of those things as well. And I'm truly a humble person in that way. Uh, No, that is false. (laughs) So to have a healthy sense of distrust, a healthy humility is also to be straightforward and confident that what the church proposes definitively to be held with faith and morals is something that I cannot go astray in. I'm not subject to, uh, to going astray by what the church says. This is, this is true to be held definitively. So the things our parents propose, they can be fallible. As little children, hopefully, generally, they actually were proposing good rules for us. But as Father Jake is saying, it's a very different case with what the church teaches on the authority of divine revelation in many cases. But again, I think it's, it's, it's really important for us to, to note here that just because the church commands things or proposes things doesn't mean that those things are oppressive. We, we so easily jump to that conclusion that any rule is oppressing my, oppressing my freedom. The precepts of the church are intended to what? To bring us into relationship with God. The moral rules of the church are intended to save us from destroying that relationship. It's for our good. It's it's protecting that freedom in the true sense. Freedom is for doing good. It's protecting that freedom. Hmm. I like as well. Uh, I <laughs> when I was in the K through eight school as the associate pastor, I would always quiz the kids, and it wasn't a trick question. It's not a trick at all, but I would always trick them on it, and I would say, "Okay, who here knows?" how the first commandment goes. And you know, many hands would raise, would be raised, thank, thank heavens. And they would say something like, uh, I'm the Lord your God and you shall have no false gods before me. I'm like, mm, good try, so close actually, but no. 
And then now they're kind of getting confused because what they thought was the first commandment, which in many areas it is, but I'd say, I want you to listen very carefully to what scripture says very carefully to the language it uses for the first commandment. And uh, I think it's from Exodus chapter eight, verse one, I think, um, where God says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that place of slavery. Therefore, you shall have no false gods before me. So the whole Decalogue or the Ten Commandments are conditioned upon God's saving work of bringing us out of slavery and to keep us in relationship of freedom. It's don't go back to Egypt, that place of slavery. And to stay in freedom means to live within these boundaries of what he has given. Now, sometimes that goes right over the kids' heads, but sometimes they get it like, oh, it's the commandments are not so that I just don't do things, but that so that I can live in something, which is the freedom that God has given. And speaking more about relationship with God, how can we help our brothers and sisters in Christ, our friends, family, know that church is not just about like wearing nice clothes and showing up to church on Sunday? Like that's the bare minimum. And frankly, that's a lot of what the Pharisees we're doing, which is washing the outside of the cup and not the inside, but rather that the spiritual life starts on Sunday when Christ walked out of the tomb and goes till Saturday, and it should shape how we live, interact, and be in the world. Like Christ calls us to, you know, to love God with our whole strength, our whole mind, our whole soul, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And this should properly order how we live in it, in our vocation, in all aspects. And just how, yeah, how do, how do we take that truly to heart? Yeah. I just have to say, humorously speaking, that when you said, you know, it's not just the bare minimum of wearing nice clothes. I would even say, we're here at a Newman Center, let's be honest. The bare minimum is simply getting students to wear clothes. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even gotten to nice clothes yet. It's like, okay, just put, put some clothing on. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good question. How to live more from the heart. Well, you know, the, the proverbial live from the, not from the, so much from the head, but from the heart. As Catholics, we want both, obviously. But how to live um, more, how deeply attached to the very root of why we do anything versus just living more from the surface. I do this because I've always done this. I do this because I was told to do this. Yeah. That's why I'm looking to brother for some deep wisdom on this. The well has run dry. <laughs> yeah, I well, even just some initial thoughts. So um, I, I do think this is impossible without a concrete encounter in some way. And there's a myriad of ways it can happen. But I think this is impossible without some real encounter with the person to the person of Jesus. Um, and so like if someone really hasn't had some experience, it doesn't have to be this eye opening, you know, fall to the ground, St. Paul experience. But if a person hasn't had some tangible, like tasting of the reality of God, Sunday mass will always be just a formality. If someone has not had an experience of love of God in their life, of going to confession and when the priest says, I absolve you of your sins, 
and they actually experience like a weight lifted without anything like that it just seems like we're we're scratch we'll always be scratching the surface um so it kind of begs the question like uh, are we are we open to God really working in our life to really engage with the things of God who's real? And sometimes to <laughs> to startle people awake to that reality because it's so easy just to go through the motions. And even for some good Catholics, it can be uh, mass is wearing great clothing, a suit and tie, and like I think I'm really. And, and that's good, but it's 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 it's, it's more surfacey, without the more heart speaking to heart, as John Henry Newman would say, that a concrete experience of knowing that God is not an abstraction. And so we need to experience that ourselves, and then tell about it. Tell about it from the mountaintops, from the roofs. People need to know and see in our lives that we experience, for example, the Mass as part of a relationship with God and not just a formality. I love where St. Paul talks about, and I think it's 2 Corinthians, where St. Paul says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I think the best uh, experience of freedom in Scripture what is what we all want is Pentecost. No one after Pentecost went to Mass drudgeringly, if that's a word. <laughs> they probably ran into Mass. They probably ran towards the things of God because they had uh, an encounter that set them free from what had shackled them to this, I want to live for myself, to live for oneself. And, and the Holy Spirit broke through the chains of those tendencies and gave us this euphoric, not just bodily experience, like, oh, I'm breathing better, but this supernatural experience of God breaking through my darkness and allowing me to see that this is all real. We should probably wrap up soon here. Domini. Any final question or thoughts for us? Do you have pushback? <laughs> hmm. I guess sometimes it initially it seemed it seems like such a burden to to take on God's God's laws and commandments. Um and then there's this I don't know when it occurred or when it happened, but it's it's you see this 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 interior freedom that's so much greater where you know i don't need this super nice car or this super nice house or these super nice possessions or all of these things that the world is trying to get you to latch onto or attach to and it's this john talks about this in his epistle is that loving is it's not loving the world it's 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 loving the things of god and this is a it it i think allows us to be in tune with, with with the needs of others and serving them and serving the core needs giving them spiritual food and literal food it allows us to attune to our needs to god first 
and it's it's a, it's a sort of proper ordering to living our not our own will but God's will in our life and that's sort of the 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 core of the question that I've been after for a long time is like how do I know if I'm doing God's will mm. rather than my own <laughs> podcast for another time <laughs> yeah yeah I think you're you're pointing there Dom to this reality that we can we can explain this issue a lot rules and freedom but but for it to make true sense we we have to experience it we have to experience that that God is our loving father and that the that the commands he sets forth are actually good for us and until we experience him as good it really is hard to make sense of this G.K. Chesterton gives a great image in his book, Orthodoxy, which goes something like this. We might imagine some children playing on a flat, grassy top of some tall island in the sea. And so long as there is a wall around the cliff's edge, think of rules, they can fling themselves into every frantic game and make the place the noisiest of nurseries. But if the walls are knocked down, the naked peril of the precipice would be exposed. They might not fall over, but they will all huddle in terror in the center of the island, and their song will have ceased. It's a great, great image of how God's laws are so good for us. They're intended to help us flourish as human beings. Why? Because he loves us. So I think it'd be good just to encourage us to give his laws a chance. Yeah, good place to end, even with the psalmist that comes up occasionally on Sundays and weekdays. Lord, I love your commands. And I love to look out and see people saying that sometimes with teeth gritted. <laughs> Lord, I... I love your commands. <laughs> I think that the goal is to be able to say that from the heart because we've experienced the truth that they are good. They are for our flourishing and not for our woe. Lord, I, I do love your commands. I have tasted and seen that they are uh, the privileged places to give me access to you. Thanks so much for joining us. Dom, great to have you. Great, uh, great questions and plenty for food for thought. Thanks for joining us, everyone. God bless you. Mm-hmm.